Today, you are listening to Think Again Christian, where pop culture and Christian traditions collide with biblical truth. Sponsored by Rainier Christian Schools. And now your host, pastor of Ravensdale Bible Church and superintendent of Rainier Christian Schools, Tony Jamie. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What a what a big concept to, to grasp and understand and it sure does sound amazing and awesome as Genesis is wrapped up in the story of Joseph and the reuniting of his brothers and forgiveness and healing. But when it's in real life, um, it's, 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 it's a lot bigger issue than, than, than we think of. For many Christians, this comes in the form of the, the Calvinism versus the Arminianism debate. And sometimes it appears to have very, very little practical value, and many Christians don't even know they're Arminian or Calvinistic. Um, and, and they're just you know, deep theological terms that we'd, we'd rather not discuss. But what about the, the argument between man's free will and, or versus God's free will? Now, that, that becomes a little bit more practical. Well, in actuality, however, the Calvinism and Arminianism controversy deals directly with, with issues concerning not only our salvation, but really the, the practical day-to-day Christian life. Uh, and, and let me be clear, both parties have, have a great desire to be uh, honorable and godly and, and, and biblically accurate, which is what makes this topic even more complex. Uh, bo- both parties have, have, have key verses and, and a wealth of, of theological giants that, that, that back those views representing, you know, great doctrine theology. Uh, the two key ones, uh, obviously, are, uh, Jacobus Arminius, Arminians, and John Calvin, Calvinists. Well, one of my goals when attending seminary was, was to come out, essentially, coming to a final conclusion of, of who am I? Am, am I an Ar- Arminian or a Calvinist? Because it's literally one of the first questions that almost everybody asks you, uh, you know, kind of in the, the theological circles. And I'm sure those of you who have studied this topic will, will notice that, that I dance around on, on, on both sides of the fence. And, and the reason why is because I'm not a Calvinist and I'm not an Arminianist. I'm a Biblicist. Uh-oh. Sounds like you're, you're skirting the issue. No. Um, in, in the truest sense, though, I, I, I don't claim either party. And trust me, neither camp would claim me. Um, and, and the reason why is, is in, in you know, its purest form, I'm really trying to stick to, to what the scriptures say. And, and I'm not beholden to, to uh, Calvin's Institutes. I'm not beholden to uh, Arminians and, and their views. I, I'm beholden to what the scriptures say. Uh, and that's where my loyalty lies. And so at 35, I... You know, I, I, I turned over my business and I walked away from, you know, currently an executive uh, VP position uh, to enter seminary. And, and when I did that, my wife and I had, had made this decision, believing in our heart that, that this was God's calling for me to be in full-time ministry. This was about a 16-year process of, of prayer, of conversations with my wife, conversations with uh, people that I respected and... Um, and, and and at that point it was it was it was my deepest desire 
but it was also God's too. And, and so the the answer when I was even just th- thinking about my decision whether to be in ministry, to go in seminary was, well, was this my free will or was this God's will? And um, the answer to that was, well, yes, to both. And, and over the years, I, I, I clearly may have made my plans while God has opened and closed doors. And until it was maybe in his perfect timing. And, and this was just, one little example of how the the practical side of this issue kind of collided with in, with my life and my life's decision, my 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 understanding of how I should then live. When I went to seminary, I, I didn't want to remove myself from from my family. You know, I didn't want to just go to school, go to work, and then lock myself in, you know, in the library or in the in a room just you know reading the Bible and and, and doing homework. And so. You know, and especially since I had five children at the f- time, five very young children, I had uh, one newborn. And so I set up shop right in the middle of the house, uh, right on the dining room table, which, you know, for my wife, that's kind of the centerpiece of our home is our, our dining room table. We eat dinner as a family together every single night. We have an open door policy at our home. People are always coming over for dinner. And so, you know, for, for my wife to, to kind of let me do that was really a, a, a saintly thing for her. Um, and, and right behind me was this big giant, you know, this was down in Southern California, big giant sliding glass uh, door that allowed me to look outside and, and watch the kids as they were out and, you know, playing around the backyard and, uh, great times to be able to study while, while kind of, you know, looking over my children and they could always come and ask me questions. I could see them. Um, and yet I could get my work done. Well, I discovered something at that little, that little spot, that little perch and, um, by free will, my, my, my boys would, you know, they'd pick up two sticks in the backyard. And, uh, as you can guess, um, what are two boys with two sticks in the backyard going to do? Well, it's not going to take very long before they become, you know, two pirates or two Jedi or two something that are going to wage epic battle in the backyard with those sticks. Um, and so the boys would, you know, begin their little sword fight. And, and again, if you've ever seen this scene, you pretty much have a good idea where this is going to go and the, the laughter and the fun and the, the imagination of being in the moment and the time. And then all of a sudden somebody accidentally hits somebody a little bit too hard. And then the other one gets a little angry about that. And so then all of a sudden they hit back with, some intent and a little bit harder. And before you know it, the, the imaginary fight is a fight <laughs> and they're going at it. And then somebody really gets hit and comes in crying. Well, I, I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but, but, but walk through me with this. In a sense, I know as the, as the father looking outside, as soon as they bent over and picked up the sticks, I know how this thing's going to end. I know how it's going to end. Now, I'm not sovereign. God is. But, but I know how it's going to end. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to cry. So what do I do? Um, do I just stop it? Do I intervene right there and the voice of God, you know, put the sticks down? You know, do I... Do I grab, walk over there and, you know, grab the sticks out of their hands and rip them out? Well, honestly, it, it, it changes. And there's different, uh, different times where I allowed different elements and, and allowed the, the activity to go a certain way. And, you know, 
Typically, mom would be different. As soon as mom saw the sticks in the hands in that first swing, mom would probably yell out, put the sticks down, go do something else. A dad maybe thinks a little bit differently. And so there were different times where I intervened in the situation and stopped before they got, you know, too far along because, you know, I didn't really want it to get to that point where, where somebody was crying or somebody got hurt. See, I, I being the father and, and in this example, knowing what was going to happen, sovereignly knowing what was going to happen, um, I could control the whole thing from my seat in the house. Why did I let it go? Did I want one of my children hurt? No. Um, did I want somebody to cry? No. Um, but I, I thought that I had a better, a better vision, a better plan than, than just telling them not to do it anymore. And you know what? And sometimes they, they, they didn't um, make each other cry. And, th- and that was great. So I use that as an example because, you know, we would say, hey, we either have, you know, complete and total free will, free autonomy to do whatever we want, or like robots, God has ultimate sovereign will and we don't do anything we want. Well, what's the answer? And that, that's really what we, what we want to look at. And let, let me be clear. I'm not trying to, to really prove or disprove either position. What I'm trying to show is, is I want to draw out, you know, when we, we look at some of the, the Bible verses, but what does the Bible say? And, and how do we live this vibrant life that God wants us to live um, without feeling that we're, we're so, so controlled um, but also understanding that, 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 that God is in charge. And so I break it down this way. And these, these are my, my definition. I know you can look up a lot of different books, a lot of theology books, and they'll categorize them in different ways. This is my way. So um, don't, don't, don't think that um, you're going to pull a book off the bookshelf and uh, I'm not lining up with somebody else. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm being very clear. I look at it this way. Free will, God's will. And sovereign will, uh, and and keep in mind the Bible is a hysterical, uh, hysterical, <laughs> a historical narrative. It is hysterical at sometimes, but a historical narrative of real life people and how they obey and disobey God's word throughout the scriptures. Pharaoh chooses not to listen to Moses. Esau cheats his brother Jacob. Abraham pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, on the flip side, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God loved Esau and loved Jacob and hated Esau. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as planned. And so we, we see this combination, this, this and both. Well, it looks like man's will and God's will collide, and ultimately we get God's sovereign will. Okay, Here, here's, here's, you know, time out, Tony. Are, are we just talking about semantics here? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're, you're just kind of twisting words and terminology. Well, it, it's not just semantics. It, it, it's, it's both ends. So just like the Trinity, we've got the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one. How can three be one? Well, they are. And they're separate. That seems to be somewhat of a, of, a, of a contradiction, but it's not. It's a both and. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. At all, that's who he is. 
when we run into to problems is when we say he can only be man, he can only be God, we call that heresy. And so we have to get our arms around the fact that there are going to be ideas and concepts in the Bible that are a both and. They're, they're both. Well, once again, I'm sure you're kind of, you know, rushing to take sides here and, and, and uh, try to hold off on that and just, just try to absorb what you know to be true from the Bible. Uh, you know, how else do we explain evil and sin if not for man's free will? Because if it's not man's free will to do evil and sin, then what you're saying is God made us do evil and sin. So we're going to explore uh, an example, a very detailed example in the Old Testament. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. Since their small beginnings in 1963, the ministry of Rainier Christian Schools has been dedicated to educating and developing each of their students for the glory of God. And it's more than just a school. Rainier Christian Schools is actually an entire school district, with three schools serving the areas of Kent, Auburn, Covington, Renton, and Maple Valley. The Christ-centered environment weaves God's truth through everything they do, from top-notch academics all the way through their competitive sports programs. Learn more at rainiercsd.org or call 425-255-7273. That's 425-255-7273. Contact Rainier Christian Schools today. Welcome back. You're listening to Think Again Christian, sponsored by Rainier Christian Schools. And now your host, Tony Jamie. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. What does that mean? Does that mean that that God sovereignly orchestrated the good to happen or that, that man's evil desires were able to be accomplished? Well, I think the answer to that is yes to both. I want to take a look at, uh, at, a, at a, a very well-known passage in Scripture. It's, it's the account of, of Joseph, and it begins in Genesis 37. It really carries on through to the end of Genesis, to Genesis 50. Now, think about that. Whenever there's a really, really large chunk of, of somebody's life detailed in the Scripture, we, we, we may want to take notice of that. Uh, we see the account of of Joseph and, and his family, the, the nation of Israel. Remember, Jacob, his father, is going to have his name changed to Israel. Jacob's sons, his 12 sons, are going to be the names of the nations of Israel. So this is very significant. Um, and so we, we need to understand this as we look at this kind of the saga of what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Well, Genesis 3, 7, Jacob, you know, begins with Jacob favoring this son, Joseph, and, you know, over the other, the other brothers. And he, J- Joseph is the second to the youngest. Benjamin's the youngest. And, and he's given this special multicolored tunic and, you know, kind of this overseeing position over the older brothers. And um, this is not a good thing. This is not a healthy thing for the father to, to just very openly show favoritism to one son. Well, it comes about that one day, you know, Joseph has these dreams and in the dreams he sees his, his, his own family bowing down and worshiping him. And this just infuriates the brothers. How dare he not only have that dream, but then even walk around boasting it. And as he's doing that, you know, he's in the multicolored colored tunic and, you know, they, they really get upset. So the logical conclusion to that is throw your brother in a pit and have animals devour him, right? 
again, just someday, just take five minutes and meditate on that. How do the, the 10 brothers have the conversation? Who opens that up? I have an idea, guys. Let's put our brother in. I mean, doesn't one of the brothers, whoa, way out of line. Uh, this is a very evil, wicked thing that, that they, you know, come up with. Now, one of the brothers is more noble than the other and says, hey, maybe we shouldn't let an animal eat him alive. An animal eat our brother alive. Again, how that even came about is amazing. But instead, let's sell him into slavery. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let, let's sell him into slavery where we have no idea where he's going to go. We have no idea how he's going to be treated. That, that might be worse than being eaten alive by animals. And so they do that. And you can imagine the screams and the yells of, of their brother as he's in that pit. Well, in Genesis 39, it picks up with Joseph is in, in a, a house uh, of, of an Egyptian officer and he's He's done well in the house. He's a house servant, but he's, you know, kind of a leader of, of the house slaves. And, and he's given a certain position and, and things are going fairly well for him. And until the day when Potiphar's wife um, starts coming on to Joseph. Joseph's a very young man, handsome. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. So, you know, he's, you know, maybe around 20 years old at the time and, you know, he's a, a very good-looking young man. And so the, the wife of the house pursues him day after day. Joseph says, no, no, no. And then finally, in a great act of, 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 of strength, Joseph runs. Well, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of actually coming on to her. And so he gets thrown into jail. So for doing one of the most noble acts in the history of mankind, the reward is he gets thrown into jail. Well, here's Joseph, and he's in jail, and Genesis 40 rolls around, and and he comes across two of, of you know, high influential uh, people in, in, in Pharaoh's house, the, the cup bearer, right, the guy who will drink the cup to make sure it's not poison, and, and the baker, you know. And so they're, they're in jail, and, and they have this dream, and, and Joseph interprets the dream. And so all he says is, hey, remember me when you get out, they go out. They, they tell of the dream, but they forget about Joseph. Again, nice reward for doing the right thing. But ultimately, they do reveal the dream to Pharaoh, and Joseph becomes the hero of all Egypt because he interprets the dream of seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, which ultimately makes Egypt the most powerful nation in the world, the only nation that's going to have food. And so Joseph becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. Well, the plot thickens. In Genesis 43, the famine comes to Jacob and his family. So here's Jacob, the nation of Israel, which is about 70 people at the time, and the 12, in the, well, at the time, the 11 brothers, and, and they're getting ready to starve because the famines hit them. And so Jacob sends the brothers to Egypt to go buy food. And lo and behold, who are they standing before? Joseph, their brother, but they don't know it. And so, as the story goes, Joseph puts the brothers through a little test, reveals who he is, saves his brothers by sending them back with food and plenty, but really he saves the entire nation of Israel. And we see that in Genesis 45, where, where the statement is made, God sent me, this is Joseph now, God sent me before you 
to preserve the remnant, the remnant of Israel, to keep you alive. And then finally, in Genesis 50, 20, again, the statement, As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, amazing story, but think about that for a second. Think about the idea that that they legitimately meant evil, and here's Joseph saying, but you know what? This is all in God's plan, so it's cool. Well, man's free will, throw brother in a pit, do evil on him, God's sovereign rule to preserve the nation of Israel. Yes. I had an opportunity to discuss this topic with uh, my students at Rainer Christian Schools a few weeks ago, and, um, you know, it's it's hard not to get past how Joseph's flesh and blood, you know, how could they just so brutally put him in that pit? I mean, you you could hear Joseph. Joseph's old enough, you know, name by name, Reuben, Reuben, Simeon. I mean, you know, I wasn't there, but you know he's calling out to all his brothers one by one, Levi, Judah, Dan. And one by one, they don't help him and abandon him. And now try to imagine that this is not just the evil wickedness of the brothers, but this is all part of a grand master plan that God orchestrates? How can that be? Because if you're Joseph, and you've got to put yourself in Joseph's shoes, and this is year upon year upon year, the, the agony, the torment, the torture, thinking over and over again, replaying that day over and over again when your brothers put you in the pit, when you're doing well in Potiphar's house, when you're doing well in jail, in life just doesn't ever seem to give you a break, does it? It just never seems to work out for you. But how else would Israel go safely from 70 people to 2 million people? Because Joseph went to to Egypt The whole nation of Israel, which was 70 at the time, gets this land in Goshen, has 400 years to safely grow to actually become a nation of 2 million people, safely protected by Egypt. How else would they have escaped famine? They might all be dead had they not come into Egypt. How else would would God put on display a, a great defeat of the Egyptian gods, the Canaanite gods, if not for putting his people in Egypt for 400 years and then having them come out and release and have victory over victory over victory over nations and false gods. How else would God fulfill his promise that was made to to Abraham 400 years earlier that I will, I will have my people in bondage for 400 years and then nail it, showing, proving that God was sovereignly in control. But those brothers were willfully doing evil and wicked things. So once, once again, we see man's free will on full display, completely accountable for their own wickedness, and yet God's own sovereign will being fulfilled. And these, these are concepts that can be hard for us to, to grasp. You know, why, why, do, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the answer to that is, well, we got a lot of evil, wicked people running around, and even within our own Christian hearts, we do evil and wicked things. And, and we see that there's, there's verses that instruct us and tell us that, hey, it's through these trials, through these hard trials that we grow. It's very hard for us to, 
to grow and strengthen our faith and our character in triumphs. Very difficult. The way of the world is, is, is to lie, is to, to be deceptive, to create strife. It's kind of how the world works. And so we, we, we work with people, we have businesses with people, and we, you know, maybe they cheat us, maybe they do things to us, and we can't see and understand. And, and this happened to me. I had a partner that, that stole over $100,000 from me. And at the time, that hurt. That hurt bad, and it put my family far back financially. But it was also one of the things that made me realize what was more important, the money, the business, or ministry. And that was one of the things that led me into full-time ministry. And that's where I am today. I'm a pastor. I'm a superintendent of a Christian school. I, I do a Christian radio show, and that guy is in prison. What he meant for evil, God meant for good. At the end of the day, I don't defend John Calvin or Arminius. The, the creator of the universe is completely and sovereignly in control. What does that mean? It means he must decide ultimately what's going to happen. So d- does he decide on who wins the Super Bowl and, you know, what kind of toothpaste you use? You know, those are silly arguments. I don't care about them. I, d- I don't use those arguments to make my, my theological point. What we should do is, is come back to the scriptures. We, we need to make sure that we are not paralyzed by overanalyzing situations, waiting on God's direction when, when he has given us the freedom to, to, to live life. So before you decide on whether or not you're a Calvinist or Arminian, remember, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. So think again, Christian. You've been listening to Think Again, Christian. Sponsored by Rainier Christian Schools and Tony Jamie. Rainier Christian Schools serves preschool through high school with three locations in the Renton, Maple Valley, Covington, Kent, and Auburn areas. For more information about Rainier Christian Schools, www.rainiercsd.org or call 425-255-7273.